This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hi everyone, Caleb here, just jumping in before the podcast starts. Firstly, I'd say we're back and we're very excited to be back and we're hoping to keep regular and weekly with the podcast going forward. Uh, and also that this episode was recorded a few weeks ago now. And some of what we talk about, particularly towards the end, about theatre funding during the COVID crisis and coming out of the COVID crisis was recorded prior to the government announcing a £1.5 billion pledge of money towards uh, the theatre industry coming out of COVID-19. Now, I think that a lot of what we talk about in terms of supporting each other, supporting artists we care about, and signing petitions, putting pressure on the government to make sure that the solution they come up with is one that is effective and is going to be the best for the theatre industry as a whole, are all still really relevant points. And even though there's been a pledge of money, we don't know what's going to happen with that money, how it's going to be used, and what that's going to look like in terms of an implementation of some kind of recovery. So although the information in terms of government funding is a little bit out of date, um, I think it's still worth uh, keeping in uh, and, and worth listening to about just thinking about how can we support each other? How can we keep the industry afloat going through the end of this crisis? Anyway, on with the show. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe like it, maybe don't. Hello, I'm Jake and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take a play or film that has never been staged before or is never likely to be staged again and we talk about how we'd stage it. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello, we're, we're back, just about. Yes, finally. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about how we've been on hiatus more than we've actually been on as a podcast since we started. So it's good to to be back for real this time, maybe. Well, that's how many times have we said that now? <laughs> um, no, well, well, I you know, degrees are difficult things to do and they take time. And now now all we have to do is earn money and live. So that that's easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's going to be just like give us way more free time than being students who can do whatever we want with our days and we're going to yeah, we're going to just have so much free time to do the podcast. Exactly. And now we live and now we live 80 old miles away from each other rather than down the corridor. It's going to be so much easier. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Just we've really just stuck that grease in the cogs, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so this week we are joined once again by the wonderful Elsbeth Farron. Hello, thank you for welcoming me back. No worries at all. And Elsbeth, you've been furloughed from uh, Chichester for a, for a little bit over this lockdown period. Is that right? Yes, I've been furloughed for 10 weeks. Um, I am back now, but I'm on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, and so how, how was that experience for you? Like how, how was being at home without any work to do? <laughs> Honestly, it all happened so quickly. Like we um, we were in the theatre and I just got back from being in Cornwall for a weekend. And then one morning I'm in and one min- morning we're all out and leaving the theatre. And I hadn't seen half the staff because we were going on to this new rotor. So it's been really weird. It was as someone who likes to keep busy, it was really hard the first couple of weeks. And obviously, like theatre is so busy all the time. And we were just gearing up to start a season. Like literally the last time I spoke to you guys, we were about to announce our season. And so it was so weird to like let all of that go and slowly having everything be cancelled a bit and 
uh, a bit at a time whilst I was on furlough so I couldn't do anything about it either so, yeah it was really weird I think I in the end found lots of time to be creative and find space to do other things but I tell you what it's nice to be back but there's only 20 of us in a normally like over 100 staff team at the moment so it's very weird Mm. And, and that's at home now, is it? Yeah, I live next to the theatre, so I've been in probably one or two days a week. Um, but there's like no one in there, so uh, it's a pretty lonely place. I, on the first day, I went back into the office. I sent my friend a video of how empty it is, and told her to play the sound of silence over the top to get a drift of what it's like in there. But yeah. It's weird. That's very funny. I I was one of the last people to to leave our like halls in in college, and I made a video similarly and put um and put uh empty chairs and uh, empty tables over the top of it. Um, <laughs> that was my proudest achievement. I enjoyed that so much. <laughs> Such a theatre kid. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was my proudest achievement of lockdown for sure. <laughs> um, uh, unlike I I really enjoyed all your ukulele exploits as well as well. That was great fun. Oh, thank you. I've played ukulele for about six years, but none of the people I worked with kind of knew that I did. But I was trying to like relearn. The most awkward part about that was when I did post them on Twitter Daniel our artistic director would always like them <laughs> and they'd like leave me nice comments and the first day I saw him when I got back he was like by the way I loved your ukulele work and I was like oh this is so awkward that people at work know what I do now just, he's like the, he's like big big boss in the theatre big, big, big theatre as well oh god <laughs> Who would have thought that putting things on the internet would get seen by people? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just, I just. Um, well, that's 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 great. Thanks for sharing that with us. Should we get on to talking about a, a movie that we might like to stage? Yes, let's do it. So this week we are looking at Lady Bird, which I believe is from 2017, written and directed by Greta Gerwig, who is now probably more famous for Little Women. And it stars Saoirse Ronan, Timothy Chalamet, um, and all sorts of other people. <laughs> other cast members other from cast members. I usually have the information up in front of me, and I've not done that this week. It's, we're, we're out of practice. But maybe, Elspeth, could you give us a little rundown of the story? Yeah, so uh, the story is basically following Ladybird Christine, who over the last year of her high school experience, so very much a coming-of-age movie, and it's very truthful, I think, to what your last kind of year at kind of secondary school or college is, because I think you're really grown up and you're making all these decisions. But really, when you get into the big wide world, it's a bit more scary. And it, it it's also a movie about her relationship with her mother and how that works within the year. And just it, it's very... There's not like a big thing that happens. It's about kind of following her life throughout a year and how she kind of navigates that as she makes lots of big decisions, I guess. Yeah, there's sort of threads of different relationships with friends and with boys and yeah, with her mum and her brother and her brother's girlfriend and her dad and it and teachers as well. And it's yeah. kind of just like builds all of these different threads of these relationships and then sort of sees them through to her making the decision to go to college in New York and then finally making it to New York at the end of the film. But then also sort of having these realizations of life back in Sacramento and her family and those relationships that she's sort of left behind in going to college in New York. Yeah, and it, it's set out as 
as a memory, I think if in interviews with 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 Greta Gerwig, this is kind of what she said, and all the kind of blues that that she uses, and and so it's because. It, we don't spend really much time in the film in New York at all. And so, it, as we were kind of saying off-air, off it, it relies on our knowledge as adults of what that experience is like in order to kind of see it through that looking-back lens because it doesn't really show us that contrast too much until the last five, ten minutes of the film. And so we we were just saying, Caleb, before we started recording, that we'd saw, we saw it right at the beginning of our university experience and at the end, just now, and they were quite different experiences watching. Yeah, it was, it was much funnier this time. I think because, like you say, because we're coming from that place of a little bit more maturity, a little bit more distance from our time in that last year at school, and now we can look back and sort of laugh at the way that we were acting then. Um, so it was quite a different experience watching it this time. But yeah, and I think that thing of it being a memory as well is, is set in 2002 slash 2003. So it is like sort of retrospective look at that moment in time as well. There's sort of reference to the Iraq war and 9-11 and all the things, the sort of changes happening in America at the time. And, and so, yeah, it feels like a memory. And the way that it's sort of constructed in these really short small scenes that taking place in lots of different locations it feels like a memory of that whole year kind of shown to us in an hour and a half uh, which makes it really challenging to put on stage <laughs> yeah yeah and also uh, the bit the certain parts we can't relate to as much as as men as well because it's it's really focuses on female adolescents especially and the mother-daughter relationship in particular as well. I was going to say, actually, it's really interesting for me because I wonder if you boys kind of pick up on that at all. Like, you've never had that mother-daughter relationship. And and although I have a very good relationship with my mum, hey, mum, if you're listening, um, <laughs> I, actually, there's so, so many, like, realities. When I watched it the first time years ago, I really felt that and really felt like it is so authentic of a mother-daughter relationship. And and so that's the bit that really stands out throughout the film for me, even though it's very small moments. But for different people, different bits stand out, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that does stand out for me in that I, because of the sort of authenticity of that relationship shown, it actually gives me like a, a further understanding of what that relationship looks like as someone who hasn't experienced it. And I think, and I think the characters are so likable and so like relatable is a weak word for it but kind of like you, you feel like you can identify yourself in all of the characters and so you can sort of get something out of that relationship even if it's not quite the sort of depth of understanding that relationship from your own point of view as well and that's kind of the power of the film as well because there's so many relationships portrayed on the screen at once and I think things like you know also the father-daughter relationship shown as well and mm. and the kind of like Almost unspoken understanding between them at times is something that I can really identify and understand. And um, I think that's kind of the power of the film is it is just this like broad spread of different relationships that are being shown. And each one of them, we see the depth without actually having to be told the depth of those relationships. I think that's really true. I think, yeah, as you're saying, Asbeth, I, when watching it the second time, the thing that struck me most was these amazing bits of dialogue where the mother daughter would would switch on the on the turn of nothing from full blown argument to to lovely loving conversation and back again and i that was that was the most amazing thing to me to watch the bit that comes to mind is when they're having a massive argument in a shop and then she finds the dress that looks good and they immediately switch to oh my god don't you love it sort of thing um which i just i just thought was amazing and i think that brings me on to like I think this film, as as you were saying, Caleb, is is very 
filmy in that it moves around location, it moves around time really quickly, it's spread over the whole course of a year, but at the same time it's very play-like in that it it's really focused on dialogue. Yeah, I've, I, when I first suggested to Caleb, I, I'd completely kind of forgotten about how fast-paced the movie was. But I just said it is, uh, we talked about it is like a play because it's so focused on the dialogue. It's so focused on a moment in time rather than necessarily having something happen that's big. Like that only really happens in really dramatic plays. Like often a play is focused on a moment in time or a situation now i'm not using real words but you know like it's it's focused on this sort space. of slice of yeah. life type mm. thing yeah or yeah. my favorite plays are anyway yeah no and i think that that's kind of the power of of this film in in staging it i think actually just talking about those little mother daughter moments maybe that could bring us on to the opening of the film because it opens on the end of their trip looking at colleges and they're in the car and they've just finished listening to the grapes of wrath audiobook and they're like both crying and then like just in a moment they start having an argument about how ladybird wants to go to college in the uh you know on the east coast um but also the fact that she wants to be called ladybird and not christine which is the name that you know her mum gave her um and then it ends with ladybird just deciding to like <laughs> open the door and jump out the car whilst it's moving and she and then it cuts the you know her with a broken arm like you know a couple of weeks later is the, i guess the implication i i mean i won't i, I kind of want to delve into how do we do that on stage but i want to start by saying i think that the way to do this uh, when i first went into watching it I was thinking, how how do we make this more static? Because that, that, often that's what we talk about. How can we like bring this into one location and longer uh, scenes and and do that? Because often that's the way to get a film into a play. That's a way that kind of makes it easier and more manageable. But actually, with this, my thinking is that we attempt to have all of these short scenes in all of these different locations, but we just create a stage space that is malleable at all times. Mm -hmm. So our main character, Lady Bird, can just be walking from scene to scene to scene to scene, and it's moving around her. And I think that that will give an energy to the performance. I think it will give a kind of sense of urgency to some of it. Um, and I think, th I think some of the montages in the film, actually what they're missing is this sense of movement and actually you could bring that into the stage space um, and you can have the movement happening around Ladybird rather than feeling like we need to like make this film more static and make it take place in like four different locations or something. Actually, we can use all of those locations and keep it moving at once all the time. And I think that then really feeds into her selfishness that we all have at that kind of age where we forget that there's a world around her in that kind of first scene she's talking about i wish something exciting would happen when it's in the background of 9-11 yeah she says she she wishes she was living through something yeah yeah, yeah. and it's so interesting now because we look back at that as really something but i think having the show move around her is a really nice metaphor for what's going on and i was thinking the same thing i think it has to be constantly moving like we can't make it static and i was trying to think of a way to do that but i'd be interested to hear what you think for, before i try and attempt it I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I've had very similar thought. I, I mean, I kind of started from this is an indie film. And and so I kind of thought, well, translating that, well, let's treat this as kind of fringe theater as opposed to kind of mainstream West End Broadway kind of theater. And so my my, I guess, exact same idea really is is 
I've, you know, looking through these settings, there's a lot of settings, but they're all very easily indicated by one or two pieces of furniture. Almost always in the scene, they only interact with one or two pieces of furniture. So I'm thinking, you know, in the shop, I think both times are in the shop, they just interact with one rack of of the shop. We're in the hospital, it's just a desk. In a lot of other settings, it's just a desk. In the classroom, you've got a couple of bits. Um, there's there's a lot of living spaces that can be indicated by very small, very in individual items. I also had this vision of kind of like everything just kind of on wheels, just kind of coming in and out as 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 you say, as she as she goes from place to place. So yeah, I I, I agree. I just think keeping it in a kind of a smaller space, maybe kind of I'm thinking more of like a black box studio than a than a big theater. I think potentially this is where I might disagree with you because I think what I would like to see is and and on a couple of those things i i, I want to see it maybe in a bigger space but with a, a large ensemble cast of like let's say 20 because there's lots of characters in this film and and like i was saying about there's lots of threads of relationships actually you need a different person person playing all of these key players in relationships with ladybird so the two boys that she dates throughout that year the brother and brother's girlfriend the dad the mum, the best friends the other friend that she hangs out with the main teacher at school uh the priest who who directs merrily we roll along the coach who the directs coach. the tempest who is a, like an absolute comedic role and some of those smaller relationships they can play other bit parts but you do kind of need one person attached to each of those things for there to build an actual relationship with ladybird during it so i i, I kind of envisage having this sort of larger sort of 20 piece ensemble cast mm. um and 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 also not having things on wheels but actually just having small things that people can pick up so but whilst every scene is going on as we move from one scene to another someone might c- come in holding you know carrying a lamp and then go straight into the scene or they'll take off a chair and then the scene changes again so rather than wheeling on bits of set actually it's it's these small bits of furniture that can be moved quickly and easily and it's just like shifted on by one person shifted off by another person and it feels like it's constantly moving and i kind of i did have a sort of example um cuz there's also this thing that that uh, greta gerwig does throughout where where she'll layer one scene over to the next mm. so the New Year's thing. That's exactly the moment I was going to use. So at the New Year's, we hear the countdown to New Year's. And whilst we're hearing the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, we're seeing Ladybird get her brother to drop her off at the post office to send off her applications to uh, East Coast universities. And that moment, actually, I think in the film lacks urgency. And I'd like to actually see a little bit of urgency in that. So I think you bring on the whole family counting down. And at the same time, you've got bits of set moving around and Ladybird trying to get to the post office to hand in those applications to get back for the end of the countdown to see new year's in with her family and i think you can create these moments of 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 higher energy and faster pace within that where there is constant movement and there's this feeling of progression through the year by by layering up scenes in that way mm. yeah no that sounds really good i'm i'm willing to go with that that sounds really good yeah there's there's i just added up there's there's 15 named characters from what i can tell um so yeah it's a it, that's a big cast but equally a, manageable one in in that kind of space that you're describing yeah and i think even because it's small bits of furniture and stuff this is something you could probably fairly easily take on tour or something um so you have 15 cast members it's a big cast but you can go to lots of different spaces um, and just bring the same stuff and it can just be moved around in that way so i think it would work in that sense um but yeah, it is big, and it, but I, I think you're right that it's not unwieldy. It's not. It's not quite a musical. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, exactly. And yes, as you're saying, there's a lot of montage moments in the film. There's the beginning when she goes to school. There's uh, the bit you're talking about around New Year's. There's preparing to leave for college. And I think you're right that those can actually be achieved quite easily in this case because they're not very mobile montages. They're kind of individual snapshots that are so quick that actually you can have this sort of thing of kind of just like lights up in one area of the stage lights down lights up somewhere else and it kind of that will kind of flow in the same way do you, do you know i think it definitely is about how can we highlight different areas of the stage of, of focus of action through the lighting throughout and i think as well i think there's a lot of like these little car journeys throughout the film and actually i think there's a way that we can just have maybe even we we have like the sort of open shell of a car and then it just becomes whatever car it needs to be for whatever um moment is taking place whatever conversation is happening and i think part of that is about that that sort of area of sacramento of california it's this idea of you have to drive everywhere because everything's really far away but actually it's in the car that we see these moments of human relationship between the different characters and i'd really like to be able to build that on stage um and i guess what i was thinking as well is like there's this the different different spaces ha- are of different sizes. So when they're in their family home or in the car, we can bring the lights in to make it feel cramped, to make it feel small. And then we're in when there is in these big, beautiful suburban homes that like Ladybird dreams of being in. The furniture can be pulled apart, and we can see the full space and the, the full scale of the stage. Yeah, I I really like that. I th- I think not even just the car. I think there's 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 loads of beds in the film, and there's loads of like dining tables that again like can be I, I like the idea of taking one piece of set and modifying it rather than having lots of different things come on and off so for example the dining table might get bigger and smaller have bits added onto the end depending on which house they're in the bed can just change covers um, and then if you have this kind of just one or two or three and the car as you said individual pieces of set that don't move but get modified and then everything else is moving I quite like that as an image. Well, one of my thoughts was to have like this kind of digital screen behind, which gives you like different spaces, but actually different set pieces probably works better, to be honest. (laughs) Because I was thinking it's a really nice idea, but then it turns it into the movie that you're trying to get away from. I I completely agree. I, I think the thing that I was thinking about on that thing is actually instead of having a screen in which different things are playing, we build one of these like... I guess they're kind of old fashioned these days, but one of these sets that like looks like those suburban Sacramento houses and it is like a wooden painted set. And I think what you can do is it can be, it can be like we have lights on it and we see this like blue, you know, that beautiful blue house and like other suburban houses. Right. But then what during Merrily we roll along, the lights change on it and it turns into that New York silhouette that we see in Merrily we roll along. And then it comes back to the Sacramento houses. But then at the end of the play, it can turn back into the New York sort of city skyline silhouette in in lighting that that back of the scenery differently oh i like I that because like all, all, like all you need to do lot. to turn it that's good reflexivity <laughs> exactly but all you need to do to turn it into that new york skyline is put a, like a blue light behind it put little lights throughout it that, that like look like little windows you know what i mean it, it's it's kind of a, a, a simple change but it, it requires you know it's more analog it doesn't require us showing footage of anywhere um, which I kind of like, you know, yeah. with it being theatre. And also it does link it to Merrily We Roll Along, which is kind of, I don't know, a fun, you know, it's a very theatrical musical, Merrily We Roll Along. I think it'd be fun to kind of bro- build that link between them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a theatrical musical about theatre. It's, it's it's as meta as you can get. But I, yeah, I, I like, I mean, one of the big 
themes of the film, which kind of only becomes clear at the end, is is about this kind of knowing where you live and having driven around it and getting kind of a feel of it sort of thing, which I think is a very American idea, especially because, you know, in this country, we tend not to have to drive around the actual town we live in to get around. Um, but I, I, I'd be wary of losing that theme, but I also wonder whether, as without Elsbeth's suggestion of kind of projecting moving stuff on the back, which no one's ever going to really suspend their disbelief for it, whether it's possible at all i did have a kind of thought on that which would be instead of doing big projections or big big digital screens actually we we bring on these big chunky 2002 analog tvs and at different moments we show footage on there so when they're watching the news about the iraq war we can show that on those screens but then at the end when she's in new york and she's talking about driving in sacramento those screens can come on with footage of driving around sacramento in that space which i mean not everyone in the audience will be able to fully see because there'll be these small screens but actually you'll be able to pick out little images from that that you can that as an audience member you can sort of take with you i think that might be a way around that without having to do these big digital screens or big projections you just bring in these smaller screens around the stage and they kind of bring in little snippets of imagery yeah i mean i think i might mention this before but when the twilight zone was on at the ambassadors uh they had little tvs of that era in 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 the audience as it were they were kind of hanging down from the ceiling and they played the odd clip um, so you, you you could do that as well if you wanted more people to see it. Yeah, and definitely, and, and when they're driving around as well, you can play footage of like what would be going past or whatever in these screens. I think, and it's something that it's simple, but it 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 feeds into the time, you know, the the period that this film is in. But it's also, you know, being able to provide that extra imagery because the the, the other things that this film has just such a great sort of mise en scène of like that that time in your life and that place in California, and it's kind of almost impossible to recreate that on stage but where you can without completely sacrificing the sort of stagey element of putting it in the theater i think it's worth doing i agree yeah i mean because i think that brings us on to the there's some very small moments that the camera captures captures um that as we've just discussed like very difficult to do in the theater so i'm thinking she writes fuck you mom on her cast um she writes the names of the two boys that she is in love with perhaps on the kind of uh, skirting of her bed and then there's the moment when the dad puts her mom's letters into her suitcase and we the camera shows us those things but they're very subtle and very small and i don't know whether they're at all recreatable in the theater i don't know but they are so important aren't they because you know her writing those names and crossing them off seems like a very small thing in the moment but then when she's painting her room to go to college and you watch that sequence you kind of feel like she's making a change and and you know writing what she does on her mum on the cast and um seeing those bits of the letters even though you can't read the whole letters you understand a bit more of what her mum's trying to say to her yeah I think for me it, it would be about just try and show them on stage and some of it will come across to the audience and some of it won't I mean I don't know I'm, with the crossing out the names things that's really hard to get across to the audience on stage I don't know whether that is a moment where you use the screens where 
you can see her crossing them out on stage and we see a close-up of her crossing them out, maybe something like that. I think the mum with the letters is okay because we can just have a moment where it's lights on on the dining table, her mum's scrapping another letter that she's she's written, she throws it down, and then later on we, we see Lady Bird open that letter and, it, and she reads those letters. So I think that that one maybe is a bit more sort of theatrical or, or larger, but maybe it is about maybe kind of utilising these, these sort of screens that we have or finding it- a way around it in that sense maybe. Even with the letters, you can have like overlapping uh, voiceovers reading out the letters because it doesn't matter what they say in them necessarily. But um, you can hear the different pickups of that. And so you could always have her with these overlapping voiceovers while she's reading out all of these different letters. So you pick up a bit of the sentiment of what's in each of these letters still. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really read them in the film. They only they were only on screen for maybe five or six seconds, and I maybe read the first line of a couple of them, and they they were just kind of the, the idea was that she didn't know what to write. I don't think I rather than so I think even her just looking through them is is probably enough. While we're talking about this, why is all American paper yellow? What was the, what's that about? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know it's really strange. I, it's, I I actually had a friend at school who um, whenever he handed in printed out homework, it was on yellow paper. And one day we asked him why that was. And, you know, he'd been doing this for maybe a year and a half or two years. And it was basically that his dad had seen this really good deal online for paper. And and so he just thought he'd buy loads of it, just a big bulk of paper. And then it arrived and he realized it was yellow tinted and he didn't know that beforehand. So then their their family just had to print off everything yellow for like four or five years because they had so much yellow paper. (laughs) That is brilliant. That's brilliant. So, I mean, that's got nothing to do with this play. But. No, I just, I just, I just, the whole time I was watching the film, I'm like, why is it yellow? Why is that? Is that? I, I think it's just an American thing rather than a this film thing. I think it is. The other thing I wanted to talk a bit about, or, or another thing, is the is the music and the soundtrack because there's some so good. There's some real like you know hits of 2002 stuff going on. You know, there's also a lot of use of like piano throughout, and obviously we have merrily we roll along. I was thinking about maybe we have a very small orchestra pit with just like a piano, a bass, a drum kit, maybe a guitar or something like that. And then actually a lot of this music can be played live and even stuff that's like 2002 stuff like Crimea River from Justin Timberlake really stood out to me. Um, actually, we can we can play our, our own arrangement of that rather than having to play the original through speakers. And that would give that, you know, that sense of the, the sort of the, the power that music is having in her life throughout the year as well. Yeah, because I think it's really important, the amount of music in there, and it gives a real background to where we are. I I think Greta really wants us to be in 2002, 2003, and I think that's a bit of the memory stuff. But I I was thinking the same thing. I thought having an orchestra, a very small one, just playing some of those songs in the background helps kind of with that mise-en-scene. And that could be where Timothy Chalamet's band plays from as well. That'd be a nice way of bringing it together. Yes. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's the, so the thing good. is, the thing. Yeah. I mean, we are in our hypothetical theatre, so it doesn't matter. But I would mention that the cost difference between playing something through speakers and redoing your own arrangement and and paying for the rights to, I think about half of the songs in Merrily We Roll Along from Sondheim is. Uh, quite expensive to say the least it'll cost us a lot yeah (laughs) it really is that would i mean that that's definitely something to acknowledge but 
I, you know, in a sort of marketing sense, I think that this is something that would sell well on stage because people know the film pretty well. It did, it did well at the time. And I think if, if what you can promise is a dynamic staging that feels like the film, but is, is, is different in a sense because bringing it to stage brings a new energy to it or a new life to it. And part of that is, is having live music, then, you know, it's kind of worth doing in that, in that sense. I won't name the show, but there was definitely a show we put on where I remember people sitting for like literally hours trying to get the rights for different like songs and theme tunes and bits. So, uh, yeah, the reality of it is not great, but we're we're not focusing on the reality. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought the other thing as well as having this live band is that that audition scene, which is just hilarious because it's just such a funny like this is what high school auditions look like. You can bring that piano onto stage and have someone playing the piano and have those songs being performed live with, you know, having the live band there ready to do it. And I think that that will kind of add to the the humour of that scene. Could you? have a waitress-esque band going on. So they're on stage the whole time, like yeah. a house band of the... Could you have the... And they kind of wheel off when you don't need them, but you can you still hear their music. Can you have that kind of vibe? So you have that stage come on when they're in the cafe and the piano come on for those different sequences. I think, I think you could. I think you definitely could. Instead of being stuck in the pit. I think orchestra pits are dead. I don't. I don't we don't like orchestra pits. Let's get them on stage. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And and I think there's there's different creative ways of getting them on stage. Either you have them wheel on and wheel off, or you have a section of the stage that is built for where this is where the band is in in the play, and and they can be interaction with it like the gig that Timothy Chalamet's band is doing, and there can also be a kind of ignorance of it when it's you know not part of the scene. I was just I was gonna say. That was the one problem I had with your New York background set thing is that the idea is that this this high school production of Merrily is is terrible and it's just people in colored t-shirts singing. And so for it to have a really good set would be a bit strange. But we can, I think there's, I think there's license there. Well, I agree to an extent, but I, I think there is license there. And I think actually, yeah, you show, you show that it's a bad production through costuming, right? And, that, and, and that's how we realize that it's a bad production, not necessarily through the set. Or even maybe that the New York looks bad when it's merrily and then there's something else that we do to it at the end to make it look good New York. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's interesting to to do different things with the orchestra now, isn't it? Like, I think more and more like new musicals coming in are trying to find different ways of putting pe- uh, musicians on stage. I mean, there's way more call outs for actor musos than there's ever been before, I think. <laughs> Absolutely, and the, with the rise of gig theatre as well. Well, I hope the rise of gig theatre, then um, that that's going to get even even bigger. Yeah, I mean, just to name a couple, the uh, everybody's talking about Jamie. At least has the pit on stage and raised, as does Dear Evan Hansen, and it just lets you have more seats. Just frankly, and also if, if we're talking stage play like this, you know, like straight sorry straight play like this would be, you know, this house that was recently on NT Live, the James Graham play had a live band on stage up on a on a balcony, and they were playing throughout on the balcony. Yeah, one man two governors, they come on in front of the curtain. Yeah, it's it's yeah it's 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 standard now. I yeah, think. yeah, absolutely. I wanted to talk a little bit about Catholic imagery Ooh. because I think Catholicism becomes sort of a sort of symbolic representation of Sacramento. Um, and, and, and you know, California in general is, is a very Catholic area within the US. And there's sort of Catholic imagery throughout this film. Some of it is like them eating the wafers as a joke, but there's also lots of shots of, of, of churches, of, of chapels. Um, and then at the end, 
you know, the, the moment that makes Lady Bird call her mum and talk about driving through Sacramento is her going into a church on a Sunday morning and, and hearing the choir sing in New York in this big Irish Catholic church. So I think that that's probably something that, that imagery needs to be shown throughout. I don't know whether that's about sometimes maybe showing stained glass windows on those those TVs that we're hanging or or having a stained glass window on stage at some point that we can light up or something like that. I don't, well, that sounds a bit like Spring Awakening. Which, yeah, don't you know. but, but do you see what I mean? I feel like that, that, that we could do with having that imagery sort of pervade the se- that some scenes in a, a certain way at some points. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even the opening title sequence of the film is actually, it doesn't say Lady Bird, it says Lady Crucifix Bird. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> when when the titles come up yeah uh, so yeah i think you're right it's really important i mean i think as far as we're saying we're moving from place to place really quickly with just in, indicative items being brought in and out we can have you know pews and there are scenes in the church there are there are uh nuns that play major parts in the schooling and in and in the world we create so i think there's ways of bringing it in subtly just through the characters and through scenes and, and what's going on just because that's what's happening to some extent yeah because it is kind of subtly throughout we don't really realize till the end how much that means home for her yeah i i think so i I just yeah i guess i i guess what i'm saying is it's about making sure it is more than just oh there's some nuns in this so it is catholic but actually like having that that like you say in the sets just having like pews and and um altars and things like that come on and off just so that we get a sense of that um just because i feel yeah i feel as though it is important and it's not just important for associating it with sacramento but also like so much of those relationships early on part of that is about you know is about the sort of pervasion of catholicism throughout all of these young people's lives like sort of Danny's shame about being gay and the difficulty that him and Lady Bird have in having a relationship and then her finding out yeah. and then working through that to a friendship, which I think is such a beautiful arc of a relationship through that film. And it shows that that challenge in a Catholic community in the early 2000s, mm. what it's, you know, that challenge of growing up gay and how do you negotiate relationships with your family and with others? And I think, you know, some of the conversations about sex throughout the film are sort of controlled by this Catholic, the sort of Catholic thing about, you know, not having sex before marriage. And then how do you negotiate these relationships in a modern world with what seems like this sort of like controlling force telling you one thing's right or one thing's wrong. Um, And I think that it's important to have that imagery throughout just because of the impact it has on so many of the relationships throughout the film. But like you say, I think there's a way of doing that 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 feels subtle, but is also bringing that imagery to the forefront as much as possible. Absolutely. And yeah, you've also got this like the tension as well between like the Catholic rebellion sort of stereotype that is is brought around in in near what you just discussed and and also between again that mother daughter relationship um it, it, as well as with lady but also with uh shelly which is uh the brother's girlfriend she's like a very wes anderson character um i i think i think I, I really like her like the way she's just kind of like there and then like just her face is there and it's very, i i just i found it very rem, reminiscent of wes anderson but the kind of uh idea that her she was kicked out for having sex before marriage and then the, and the ladybird's mum took her in and that this family despite being very conservative in many ways is also not not very progressive but but is accepting in a way that maybe other families are not you know and her mum is my mum is a mental health nurse and the abortion conversation shows that there's more open-mindedness from ladybird 
than that that comes from her family then she maybe she realizes until another time yeah and i think it's about for for that family faith is about compassion rather than about dogma or, or judgment right and and actually that's kind of where ladybird gets to at the end of the film because she goes when she goes to new york she has this conversation with this guy david and she asks if he believes in god and he's like no nah, no nah, it's ridiculous and then she's like we walk around calling each other by the names our parents made up for us and people think believing in god is ridiculous and i think it's this film has this interesting relationship with it where it's it's certainly not pro-religion, but actually it's not necessarily like anti-faith. And actually it does acknowledge some of the positives of that and some of the um, what that can contribute to a family unit or to people when when they kind of acknowledge it or, or uh, it's, a, it's a positive force in their life rather than a negative one. And I think you see that as well in the relationship that um, Lady Bird has with the, the sort of head nun um, and the sort of the jokes that they have. I mean, she pranks her by putting married to just married to Jesus on the back of her car. And then later in the film, the, the nun's like, I wasn't angry at you because I think it was hilarious. I think that they, it, it, the film is good at showing this sort of balanced view of religion rather than a you know, a lot of films made it in that time, this sort of like angry, very anti-religion stance. We have to have the just married to Jesus. I was going to say, maybe part of that is how we show a car on stage. We then find an opportunity to to mess with that car as much as possible. And part of that is putting a, a just married to Jesus thing on there and, and, and doing all of that prank on stage. Yeah. So, I mean, corporate uh, like events companies uh, have these like, have very very intricate ways of moving cars around on stages and i wonder whether we can borrow some of those things to use in this because i think there's not normally the problem we have when we deal with cars when we're talking about films on this podcast is that it's a chase or it's uh some kind of high octane you know use of the car and therefore we're like okay well we can't do that we just can't make a car move fast because it's only got four meters to move but i think in this film all of the car moments are, if not static, they, they don't rely on where the car is going in particular. They're about what's going on inside the car. And so these corporate um, like car shows, basically, they do, they do these like big car reveals where they, they move the car around and they drive it and they have it on these things that spin and move up and down. And I assume they're available to the theater as well. So I think it'd be quite interesting to have this this kind of, to be able to put a car on on some kind of movable uh platform that can spin and and just move from maybe one place to another um not necessarily for when they're in the car but for when it's when it's entering scenes and when it's being used in scenes so i mean the i say you know there's there's when they're driving and there's different people driving in the car and in the front and in the back um and we can think about how to get people in the back of the car and still make them seen but i think what's more interesting is that we've also got these uses where um at the deuce which is just a car park somewhere um when uh timothy chalamet sitting on the front of the car um when they dress up the car as you were saying elizabeth in in this in this kind of just married thing um and we can just just kind of creating that sense of place as we said with 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 subtle movements just moving this car from different sides of the stage and rotating it and dressing it up with different things very quickly um, I think might be able to achieve that. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about the the setting of the, of the supermarket and the thrift store, which are quite important settings throughout. And again, it's that thing of can we have maybe uh, it's you know one side it's a supermarket aisle, and then you you flip it round, then suddenly it's a clothing rack, and and different things like that as well to just subtly change scene, subtly show different location, and and but using sort of 
you know, the theatre, you know, techniques of like changing scene rather than having to make it feel like the film in the way that you can cut from scene to scene. Yeah, and again, we can borrow from, you know, Merrily We Roll Along is the musical in, in this film and also it's it's about, it's set as a memory. The idea is that, obviously it goes backwards in time, but the the main idea is that it's someone looking back on their life and so when we move from time to time, just these rabble of people come on and they they move things around and and they and suddenly we're in a different year and so um we can use kind of that same idea of like we don't have to flow from one scene to the next like you might in a you know in a pentaplay you can have these kind of flashes of you know well that was a, that was a memory and now we're on to a different memory sort of thing um and that might get us out free of of these kind of very quick changes of location that would be a little bit um unrealistic in in the, in the theater if we didn't acknowledge that we were moving from memory to memory you talked a little bit about the deuce and timothy chalamet can we talk a bit about timothy that is chalamet? The best scene. <laughs> i mean just we were just sat there watching it and we're just like what a knob <laughs> he's, he's just like one of the worst people like just the worst and i think the chalamet part i mean bringing it to the stage is because it's timothy chalamet and he's kind of taken in this iconic like james dean-esque status for some reason i mean i think he's good i have no issue with timothy chalamet i want to make that clear i have no issue with this cheap <laughs> but i also think he is such a meme in this film and that part whoever takes it on in in, in our stage play has to really play into this caricature of timothy chalamet because it's just so funny and i think timothy you know he's playing into that in the film but i think you really need someone who's willing to just go yeah you know what i don't take my, myself very seriously you know, as an actor, but I'm gonna, in this, I am taking myself so seriously in everything I say. When I'm talking about, you know, our bugged cell phones and stuff, and it's not like he's wrong, but it's just so like the way he does it is just is the the most annoying thing ever. Hella tight. Hella tight. When he says <laughs> hella tight, yeah, man. Oh, don't get me started. Oh my god, it's so good. No, did anyone ever say hella tight? No. I don't feel like that's a 2000 thing we've lost. I think that's just a, that's just a thing that <laughs> idiot did. <laughs> yeah yeah speaking of things idiots do we can't uh there's a lot of cigarettes in this um and there's quite a big theme and that's i guess in a in a big theater like that that, that's probably pretty doable actually i'm thinking in smaller theaters they don't like having those kind of things uh electric cigarettes are on the rise they Um, really are and e-cigarettes in theater look better and better every day so i think that there's definitely a way of doing that I mean, I've definitely seen productions at Chichester because you guys only use e-cigarettes these days, right? Yeah, we have a new policy, which means that we only use e-cigarettes on stage. And I think a lot of theatres are starting to do that. I mean, even the stuff I've seen in the Minerva, which is a, you know, it's a 400 seater theatre, but it's in in thrust. So it's very close um, and very intimate. But actually, even then, the e-cigarettes look real. They're getting more and more impressive, I think, for the stage. And it's for the health of actors, more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I and meant, the environment. It is definitely health effects because I saw I saw a play there a few years ago. Now it's the one about the poet. Oh, the female poet who was Stevie. A, Stevie about Stevie with Zoe Warner. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and she smoked. I don't know. Maybe maybe thirty cigarettes over the course of that two hour play. Um, it was just like she was just 
packing them in, getting through them. Because, again, that's set over quite a long period of time, about like 10 years or something like that. And she, you know, and she's a heavy smoker in it. So she is just constantly lighting up a new cigarette. And 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 so it was just like, I, I cannot imagine how bad for her health that, that, you know, run of production would have been. So yeah, just the, I mean the e-cigarette is like you say for theatres, Jake, but also for the actors because um, in in a play like this, you're going to end up getting through a lot of cigarettes as an actor. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad solutions to that are are coming through um, because you know it's it's I think it's quite important in this the kind of idea of the cigarette as a kind of a symbol of rebellion as well. You know, oh, you're not allowed to smoke, so we smoke sort of thing. And also, but also the parents all being okay with it in a sort of way, and they're kind of like, well, that's that's a line we can let you cross and you feel like you're rebelling i don't know i got that kind of sense from it i know yeah i love i love that in this film that there, there is this sense of rebellion like you said earlier like you know against like, you know against catholicism as a rebellion against your parents as a rebellion but actually that you know most parents these days are pretty chill with rebellion they want you to go and push some boundaries and i think it's interesting that it sort of shows that relationship of Lady Bird is constantly want to push her mum's buttons and push these boundaries. But actually, although that, that causes them to fight, actually her mum wants her to push boundaries in a, you know, in a safe way, but actually doesn't mind her rebelling in, in some senses. I think our parents wish we'd rebelled more. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> no. I think they're pretty happy that we're quite mild-mannered, like pretty chilled out people. <laughs> I don't think they wanted us to rebel anymore. <laughs> Uh, we're just getting very personal. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to this theme of love as attention. Does it? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think. No, it doesn't at all, but I don't know where you're going to cut, so I hope it does. <laughs> um, no, okay. Um, no, I, I also want to think about this theme of, of love as attention um, and the way in which that's kind of brought out very explicitly at the end when the mum stopped paying attention to um, Ladybird and then the nun says it to her out loud don't you think that's what love is attention um and i wonder if there's ways because in the theater you have people's attention in a way you don't have in a film i wonder if there's i i'm not don't really have any specific suggestions but i wonder if there's anything we can do in the theater that you can't do on film that really kind of drives that point home and brings that out interesting that's a really interesting thought the thing okay the the worry always with playing with the idea of the audience's attention is you actually never want to lose the audience's attention because it's so hard to get back. Um, but I think one of the powers of the theatre in terms of attention is actually we can see when people are paying attention to each other on stage because they have to pay attention to each other on stage in a way that they don't, you can't cut around it. Um, and I think playing with that perhaps is is where we can eke out more from this theme is is in in the direction of the actors the way that they pay attention to each other um and i think that that's you know in these in in the scenes like around christmas and new year's when the family is very harmonious and and loving actually it's you can really see the actors really paying attention to each other and then in in scenes later on you can see actors losing that attention that they're paying to each other but i think what's interesting is actually when her mum starts ignoring her she's still loving her because it takes so much effort to ignore someone like that. It takes so much effort to do that. Um, and I think that that's just as much attention as actually paying her attention. She doesn't dismiss her. She just ignores her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think. It's so heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. I, and I was thinking about that moment when she drives away from the airport and then starts crying and changes her mind and drives back and runs into oh, the airport. Man. And how we might be able to achieve that on stage. Yeah. And I think, I think basically the thing to do is, is to almost reverse it. 
um and instead of seeing what we see which is the mum we can see the drop off we can see the car maybe go off stage if we have the ability to move it around like that and then we can see the dad and daughter kind of silently say goodbye and her walk into the audience as if she's going through security at the at the back of the of the auditorium and so in a way which doesn't really have the same emotional effect on film as we say we we as the audience can see her leaving we can see the exact moment she leaves and we see the door shut and as the door shuts the mum runs back on as if she's just got out of the car I don't know whether that. Oh, I, I just felt bumps. that. I just felt <laughs> I that. that no, I'm not even kidding. I just felt that when you said that. <laughs> I could, I could see that, and that is, it, it's a different effect. It's a different effect, but that is, I think that is just as strong emotionally because there's a dramatic, there's a dramatic irony there. In the film, we don't know that the daughter's not going to be there, and we think maybe she might. In this, we know she's not going to be there, and then the mum runs back on, and, and she's missed her. I think that works so well. Okay, Caleb can confirm. My eyes are actually welling up. <laughs> I was like, wow. Tears, tears. Honestly, I, I did. I felt, as you described that, I felt that. <laughs> that was woof. What, what's interesting, and uh, you haven't done it yet, but I know you love to change a storyline. You could even have, to extend that moment, you could have the dad give her the letters at that point. Instead of her finding them in her suitcase, I wonder if he gives her the letters. So she leaves knowing she's loved by her mum, but her mum doesn't know that she knows that yet. Oh, that's so good. I actually really like that. And it gives us an actual theatrical moment in which those letters happen. And maybe even the dad says, don't, you know, don't read them yet. Read them when you get to New York or something like that. But we see that passing on of the letters Instead uh, yeah. of that phone call, he can be handing her the envelope and say, read these when you get there. I want you to know that your mum loves you. Yeah. And then, because we never get to see how that ends. Yeah. And I guess we do when she lands in New York. Yeah, I think that could really work as a moment. Yeah, well, because my, my thought at one point was to to cut at the airport. And not see New York. Yeah, but I don't I don't know if I think that's right anymore. Just because it's a big, it's a it's a lot to do for five minutes, but I think it is necessary. Yeah, I I think I think you have that letters handing over there, and I think we keep New York, but actually it it means that New York is much more about her striking out on her her own than it is about reflecting back on the the year that's just happened because we've al- already had that moment of reflection, if that makes sense. And I like I kind of like that the film the film okay what because what I find interesting because Elspeth when the film started in in a a car. Last time I was on the podcast, we did Leap Year, which is a road trip movie. And it start the film, this film starts in that car, and I was went, Oh no, I've done it again. <laughs> so Jake's gonna kill me. But but actually, this film starts at the end of a road trip movie we never got to see. Um, and then this film ends at the beginning of a college coming of age film that we never get to see. Um, it's the in between, and I think so. I think I, the importance of New York is knowing that that's the start of the next story in her life, and I think that that's important. So I think that that would be interesting to keep in. But I think, like you say, you know, there is a kind of power in that final scene at the airport. But yeah, it would be a lot to cut that. That all there of the is New York no stuff. real resolution because her mum doesn't pick up the phone; she leaves that voicemail. But I think that is true of life that we are just seeing. That it's coming back to the idea that it is just a snapshot and something will change after that. And yes, we see her grow in that time. But yeah, I think you have to have that New York moment where she realised how much home means to her. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
we we often like to talk about because I imagine I mean this the, the film is about an hour and a half a bit a bit, bit longer um, but actually putting this on stage and with some of these transitions we talked about I think we're probably looking more like at an hour and 45 maybe an hour and 50 is there somewhere that we want to put an interval in this it's so hard because the natural place is when she originally breaks up with Danny um, because then you kind of have the two halves of those male relationships if you see what I mean but I uh, that's only half an hour into the film yeah the challenge, but that's yeah. only a short way into the film, I guess. I wonder if this can be kept to one act. Well, yeah. So I've either the, the choices I've we we keep it to one act, but it's long, and we just you know the audience has to sit there and sit through it because they would sit through it in the cinema. And it, and two hours, you know, an hour and fifty isn't so long that an audience can sit in the theater the whole time without an interval. Because the challenge of an interval is usually you're building up to a, a sort of dramatic climax, and then it's okay. Now spend fifteen minutes thinking on this or you know waiting to find out the end of that there isn't a dramatic climax in this as we've talked about it it is just a sort of snapshot of life um so it is challenging i wonder about maybe it's something like you know after the scene where she's gone and met timothy chalamet at, at the deuce which is like a bit further into the film um and or maybe it's just after you know she has the big fight with uh jules and and that's quite far into the film so you're going to end up with a fairly short second act so there are places where you could find a break in the action but i think that it's probably fair to say that if we could do it in one go it would be worth doing it in one go and if you're trying to make those transitions slick so that she's constantly moving i think you could keep it to an hour and a half yeah well no no interval works though yeah yeah yeah, I think I agree. Love yeah. a good one act. Yeah, I think I think with the pace that we're trying to maintain, then no interval works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you, as an audience member, when something's moving that quickly, you don't need the stamina to get through it. Whereas stuff that's like three hours long, and we take, you know, it's great that we take time with these like longer, you know, 20 minute, half hour scenes, or even scenes that are a whole act that are like 45 minutes or an hour long. And that's great. And that's, you know, that's something of theatre. But actually, when something's fast paced, we don't require the same stamina to get through it in some ways. Cool. cool. Okay, well, let's move on to our newish segment. <laughs> Have we got a name for it yet? I don't think we do. But just a, a little recommendation segment of theatery things that we have read or been doing or seen recently uh i mean i i think we have to call it maybe you like this Ooh, maybe you like this oh I'm yeah for that. um well yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> well that's official now that's canon so maybe you like this what and it needs it needs a jingle even... does it need a jingle maybe we'll you find... like this <laughs> <laughs> should i play something on the i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna get i'm gonna get onto cav who does our our um, theme tune and maybe get a, an actual jingle but <laughs> it was a lovely attempt <laughs> no i think i think i think mine's fine <laughs> um okay so um elspeth do you have something to to kind of offer as a something maybe we might like that's so difficult i um have been writing a list of shows in isolation that i've been watching because obviously you know theater is gone currently so you should all go sign petitions that's what you should actually do oh i started a virtual theater club with some friends who are very theatery too and we've watched so many shows for some reason they shot mtv shot a version of legally blonde the musical on broadway live 
uh, and we recently watched it, and I just remember how much I preferred the musical to the movie. And I I know it sounds mental, but like all of us really enjoyed it, and we all come from very different taste backgrounds. So I suggest that for something about I love Legally Blonde the musical, and actually that MTV recording. I remember when we were kids, you showed me that on YouTube Mm. and we sat and watched it, you know, all the way through one time. (laughs) So I I think it's great. It's such a good musical. Sorry. Yeah. Carry on. Um, And I don't know if they're doing it still, but check out Sleeping Trees. Uh, A friend of mine, I knew them before, but then uh, one of them became my colleague at work. Um, And they have this uh, theatre company called Sleeping Trees. They go to Fringe every year and they put out their show World Tour so people could pay, like, I think I paid a fiver to watch it. Um, I think it was a kind of pay what you like type Oh, yeah, it was pay what you like. And they're thinking about putting some more out. So um, I highly recommend a watch of that. I mean, there's literally about 50 things I could recommend. But I think for something more jolly, because I think so many of the shows out there at the moment are like the really depressing ones. Yeah. Um, Legally Blonde the Musical, it's just, yeah, it's great. And Sleeping Trees for some good uh, physical theatre fun. Cool. How about you, Jake? Do you, have a, do you have something that maybe we'll like? Yeah, I mean, maybe you'll like this. Um, no, I. Uh, this is a podcast I've been listening to for a really long time well on and off i've i've missed the most recent series so uh at the moment i need to catch up on it podcast called podcast called ear hustle which is a a ear hustle is prison slang for like eavesdropping basically and for overhearing conversation and like gossip and that kind of stuff and it's a podcast made in a prison in new york state and it's the, the hosts are like a like a community support officer and an inmate on a on a life sentence and it's they've done three series they've won awards and they go and they 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 just talk about stories of what it's like to be in prison and about some of the possibly the injustice justices and some of the experiences of what being in prison is like and about the legal system that puts people in those prisons and often obviously those people are black and often those injustices are race um oriented and so i've i've been kind of I've, I've gone back to it in recent weeks um because i think it's um it's really uh an important thing to know about um so yeah ear hustle it's a really great podcast that sounds amazing and i'm definitely going to check that out because that sounds so good and i'm just finding a couple more sort of podcasts to listen to so that's really cool i'm gonna for for my recommendation this week i'm basically just gonna plug something that i've been a part of the oxford university drum society has been doing this thing called lockdown shake up where they've been sort of handing out shakespeare monologues and a couple of pieces of new writing to uh directors and actors who they've kind of like just put them together and uh and they've been able to sort of work on a monologue and then record it at home to build a sort of festival of these I guess similar to the sort of like talking heads that's been on recently, the sort of redo of the Alan Bennett one. Um, so I had, I was paired up with Gemma who's been on the podcast for the Hamilton episode. And we were looking at a speech by Posthumous Leonatus in uh, Cymbeline. And yeah, it was really a really fun experience to try and figure out, well, how can we do something with this monologue without the context of the play around it? And with only using this one actor basically filming themselves on their phone in their bedroom. And I think we came up with a sort of fun idea, but that's gonna, those are going to be on the um, Oxford University Drama Society website, which is something like our 
.co.uk or something like that. But I think if you searched O-U-D-S, you would probably find it. And they're going to be up there and you can check those out. And I think I haven't had a chance to watch everyone else's yet, but they all seem really great. There's been some really interesting takes on um, Shakespeare in within the context that we're doing it. Fantastic. That sounds really cool. I, I can't wait to watch all of those. I'm sure those, I'm sure those are great. One more thing to plug, uh, which is that our 2019 fringe performance of Redacted Arachnid, which was our play last year, is available to watch on on the internet right now for free. And you can watch that at www.maybelikeit.co.uk slash redacted-arachnid if you would like to do that or search for it on YouTube. Yeah, and it's all over our Twitter and etc. And, you know, you know our website. We'll, we'll read it out in a second after Elspeth tells us where she can find us on, where we can find her online. Well, just before I do that, I just wanted to say, because we talked about it a little bit off pod, I think it's really important to be investing in each other's theatrical exploits, you know, online and wherever we can. Um, and also it's really important to be donating when we're doing that to people's artistic stuff because you know uh, if you're in the world and I don't know this <laughs> when this is going out but you know theatre is a bit weird at the moment and uh, and it's not always taken seriously and I think we have to really look out for one another as artists and creatives or if you just listen to this for fun um, like looking after creators and artists is really important because a lot of them are freelance and are really struggling at the moment um so if there is petitions you can sign i'm sure maybe you like it maybe can link you to some it's just really important to show that the arts has been really important for lots of people during lockdown and help them mentally get through a lot of what's been going on and that kind of social isolation and so we can't forget about it when we go back into reality there's lots of my friends who are really struggling who are stage managers and or stage crew or wardrobe departments or in wigs or even actors who don't know when they're going to get their next job and be back in reality lots of them have taken jobs elsewhere or are doing stuff like cameo etc so i know i'm getting a little bit on my soapbox but i think it's really important that um we all start to support each other in any way that we can yeah and and part of that you know if you can donate to to people you like then then do that but also yeah like as we said signing petitions about government funding and just just watching stuff that's not just the big stuff put on the BBC, but actually going and seeking out some of these smaller theatre companies and seeing what they've put out on their YouTube channel because loads and loads of theatre companies have been putting stuff out in this time. Um, And it's so good to be able to watch that stuff that usually you'd have to, you know, catch them in Edinburgh or places like that. And actually it's an opportunity to to sort of see what these smaller companies are doing in the theatre at the moment and in the sort of fringe area of the theatre and and kind of get an opportunity to watch that stuff and sort of support them in that way. So Elspeth, where can people find you online if they want (laughs) to? Sorry, Jake did (laughs) ask me. Um, You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Elspeth Rebecca, which is E-L-S-P-E-T-H. Rebecca spelt the normal way. And yeah, lots of things on there. So that's where you can find me. And Jake, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Jake Reesh. That's J-A-K-E-R-E-E-S-H. And Caleb, where can people find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Lebster. That's C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. Um, and, and where can people find us as a as a production company, Jake? 
where can they find us we are maybe you like it productions and this is the maybe you like it podcast and you can find us online at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or you can drop us an email at info at maybe you like it.co.uk or you can find us on twitter or instagram at maybe you like it that's with the letter u or on facebook at maybe you like it with the word u or indeed can you do anything else? Ah, <laughs> uh, um, we we got YouTube, but there's not much up there. I mean, you know, we, we're working on things. Try <laughs> them in person. Yeah, I probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, all of those places, and hopefully, we're going to be doing some new interesting things soon i won't say too much just in case we don't but um <laughs> so so keep uh you know keep tabs uh in those ways to find out more and as always if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast then please give us a little review or a star rating on your on your podcast platform and share us around with your friends because you know we want people to listen to our voices because we like them and maybe people can start so can start pinging us emails with their own maybe you like this recommendations if you want and we'll and then we'll read them out and send us any email you yeah, like just, we, it's just say, our inbox is we so empty would love to hear from you <laughs> just just say hi or just maybe you like that maybe you didn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it, maybe you didn't.